From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to LinkedIn.com slash results to claim your credit. That's LinkedIn.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. 
I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Megan Navarro. She is the head critic and chief content creator for Bloody Disgusting and co-hosts the Bloody Disgusting podcast. Welcome to the show, Megan! Hello! Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. You've been on our list for a long time, and I'm so oh, glad wow. that we made this happen. because we just, we, You just we, had we to reach out and ask. Yeah, I would have been there from the get-go. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it's one of those like Twitter things where it's like, are we, are we you know, what what's what what do we do? Because you, you know, it kind of Twitter breeds that sort of sense of knowing someone, but then do you really, you know what I mean? So I'm thank you, we're so glad you're here. Thank you so much <laughs> for inviting me. Yeah, I'm thrilled. Okay, so before we talk about the good stuff um, that we're, I'm really excited to talk about this movie. Uh, let's take it back to the very beginning. How did you get introduced to horror? Well, my dad was a big movie person, uh, okay. and he loved going to the video store every week, and I obviously would go with him. I was like four, and somehow, and this really started after he let me watch Ghostbusters, and I was mm. obsessed with all of the monsters and the library ghost and all of that. Mm. And it just kind of turned into this obsession with monsters. So when I would go with him to the video store, he would be browsing the new release wall and I would go look for the places where the monsters were, which was <laughs> the horror section. Yeah. And I was lucky to have a dad who never thought to censor what I watched, you know, okay. mm -hmm. like for him, horror was make believe. So, you know, as long as I knew that, like, then there you go. So yeah, I basically spent every week eager like to go with him so I could pick out a cover box monster and watch accordingly, which also meant I could stretch the boundaries of what was horror, you know, like <laughs> yeah. fantasy was right next to it and sci-fi mm -hmm. was right next to it. Those have monsters as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, that's really where the lifelong obsession, it, it started super young for me. So did you kind of have like carte blanche to like whatever you wanted in that horror section? Yeah, pretty much. pretty much. I mean, like That's there amazing. were there were occasions where my mom would come with and she <laughs> she's always impatient, so she would try and steer me into the stuff stuff that looked a little more kid friendly, but <laughs> I was and remain pretty headstrong. I know what monsters I need in my life, mom. Thank you. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm carte blanche. So um, do you remember the first horror movie you ever saw? Was it Ghostbusters? I mean, Ghostbusters was. That was my entry point, period. Uh, but beyond that, I don't know. I, I remember things like Pet Cemetery devastated me. Uh, I was super into Chucky and uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, things that were too young, but I watched. Yeah, so those were kind of like the, all the early follow-ups to... To Ghostbusters. Cool. I, I love that. Yeah, it, I it's, it's kind of I talked about this on the podcast a lot that my parents in the beginning were kind of like that. So I watched a whole lot of a lot of R-rated stuff that I probably shouldn't have. And then yes. they became unfortunately a little bit more conservative and were like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I I did not have that. I did not That's have awesome. that at all. Yeah. Do you remember some of your like childhood favorites then? Uh for sure I was a Freddy girl. I, I think yeah. just because it's it's so whimsical that, mm -hmm. you know, like the more far fetched. Um another childhood favorite was the blob and it still is to this day <sighs> one of my favorites. They, they a lot of a lot of like the, the creature feature heavy stuff were what I gravitated to because of Ghostbusters, but like the blob, the fly, like all of that stuff. Mm. Me too. That was like the, my favorites. They going towards those like the gory special effects heavy like monster movies of the 80s. Mm. Yes. Perfect. And if the cover didn't have 
a lot of monsters. Like, I remember picking up the cover to Rabbit a lot when I was a kid. And, oh. and But I never wanted to because I'm like, where are the monsters? I didn't, where are the monsters? Where are, it's just a girl in a freezer. I don't understand. Like, that was, <laughs> that was a picture on the cover box. <laughs> like, on the back of the cover. That's what I, so I didn't want to watch it. And I didn't watch it till much later. And I think that was a wise choice because child probably. me probably would not have appreciated that one at all. But yeah. So. But, but why would you watch that when you have the blob, like, pouring over a man that is being dissolved on the yes. front cover and that cover is brilliant i mean i oh, did watch perfect. a lot of duds because of covers don't get oh. me wrong but yeah yeah <laughs> wait how old were you when you saw ghostbusters do you remember how old four. you were four. Oh wow okay yeah yeah all right so you got started early uh, very early yeah very early birthday party ghostbuster cakes from when i was like four and five oh, and i too. had i had to have all the toys and the egon action figures yeah the, you know, I went to go see uh, Ghostbusters um, Afterlife at the Alamo, and they always do like the 30 minutes before, you know, where they play a lot of stuff. And they were doing a lot of the the toys from the real Ghostbusters era. Yes. And it was like, a oh, my gosh, nostalgia bomb, because I remember having those toys, like the one where there's this woman that like her mouth opens yes. up. Yes, she was like a teacher with the, mm-hmm. the beehive. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. I coveted that townhouse. I never got the townhouse, but I wanted it so bad. I did have junk that I didn't want that I thought I wanted. Like, do you remember the Ghostbusters? It looked like toothpaste, like green toothpaste. And it came out like toothpaste, but you chew it and it turns into gum. And uh-huh. it's so gross. Even uh-huh. like, to- Yeah, that was a thing that existed, but it had Ghostbusters branding. Therefore, I needed it in my life. They had commercials of people brushing their teeth with Ghostbusters uh, toothpaste, and it was like, I remember how I had that Slimer toothpaste. Yep. Yeah. And Mary Beth was like staring at <laughs> us like so confused. I'm She's telling you. She's grossed out. Yeah, understandably. <laughs> Mary I Beth, think the, that might have been a little bit before my time. The marketing, <laughs> especially in like the, the 80s, the way they marketed stuff to kids was it ridiculous. Is, the, yes. The cereal. Yeah. Uh, do you remember Toxic Crusaders, where they tried oh. to, to child-friendly traumas Toxic Avengers? Yeah. I certainly do. I had some of those toys. <laughs> yeah, I remember that coloring <laughs> book. Yeah. Never saw a single one of the movies, <laughs> but I owned the toys. <laughs> yes, you could buy Toxic Avenger coloring books. But instead of Avenger, it was Crusader. Like, that's oh, going to yeah. make this Christian, like, uh, whatever. <laughs> I was going to say, somehow Crusader's worse than Avenger yes, in my brain. Yes. But, like, I guess. <laughs> it, but it was like the like the precursor to Captain Planet, so mm-hmm. it's it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, wow. I remember those. I remember the Swamp Thing toys uh, that were back in the day. I even remember the Alien when they started like releasing the Alien toys. Those action figures. Best place to find toys were always thrift stores too. Mm-hmm. Like I would look for things that because you could find so many monsters in the toy bin, and I had no clue what they were from at all. Like after the longest time, I had this vampire that was like this purple robed vampire holding a cat, and I thought it was the best thing ever. And it wasn't till this year that I realized it was from freaking like Voltron, <laughs> and it was a witch. <laughs> but in my mind, I'm like, this has got to be from subspecies or something, right? I think I might have had that toy. Did you? I think, See, about I think so. It's like Voltron or Robotech or something. Totally not vampire. <laughs> tell you, man, toys. Toys in the eighties were the best. <laughs> well, and like I, I grew up in the in like the the nineties, early two thousands. But I had my uncles were not much older than me, and they had a bunch of old wrestling toys too. And I loved the shit out of those. I had no idea what they were, but like wrestling action figures incredible like what yes yes 
toys. See, we are an easy mark as kids for horror. We are. Absolutely. I mean, it continues into adults. I need yeah. that new shirt. I, need, I have like 20 alien shirts, but there's a new one. I must have it. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Other than the movie that we're talking about today, were there any other horror movies that really scared you as a kid? Yes, there were two. And really, it has to do with more parts of the movie than the movie as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. like, the obviously, Pet Cemetery was a big one. But the two that freaked me out that I literally watched from behind the couch, the couch like the couch was going to protect me if the thing came out of the TV somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, Zuni, the Zuni doll from Trilogy of Terror okay. um, totally messed me up as a child. And so did the scene. And it's so funny now when you look at look back at it. But it was... Linda and Evil Dead 2, when she came out and they did that weird, like, inhuman stop motion shit. Like, that warped me so bad. And this, again, was like the middle of the day. My uncle was watching it and I was like, what is this nightmare? Yeah, those two, those two fucked me up. Did did movies, do you remember, it sounds like you watched a whole lot of horror movies. Did did they? Were you ever scared uh, as a kid watching them? Aside from like the ones or twos that like really hit you, or did did you breeze through them? Not really. I mean, like there were parts that that bothered me a lot. Um, like you know, again the pet cemetery thing. But mm-hmm. it, the, for that one, it had to do with the truck. Like I still vividly remember having a nightmare mm. of Lurch from Adam's family driving a semi truck <laughs> down. Uh, <laughs> down this like heavily wooded road and so the truck itself is what scarred me there um yeah. but yeah it was doll- things that had to do with dolls were mm. probably more freaky for me so like chucky too when he rolled under the bed mm. that like when you see a little doll and you don't know where it is so like dolls were the t- tend to get me more than anything as a child but for the most part it's like yeah they're gonna kick these monsters butts or yeah monsters rawr i would have been freddy's friend like what kind of psycho <laughs> child was i i don't know but, but I was the same. Yeah, okay. Then we are twin psychos. We are Peter Seriously. Pod. Yeah. <laughs> I love Freddy. And I'm like, yes. you know, as an adult, you're looking back going like, he was a child killer? And I hinted at that he was kind of a child molester in some parts. So I like, know, but kid kid brains don't pick I up on this. I want to be his friend. Instead, it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, turn that crazy uh, bodybuilder into a cockroach, because that's oh. crazy cool. Okay, so I have to I have to know, what is your... of. I mean, we're not going to include the first one. What is your, other than the first one, what's your favorite of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies? It is, it's, I'm going to say three. Okay. But I will be a staunch defender of four. I know a lot of people hate that, but. Four is my favorite. Terry and Megan, you're just vibing. <laughs> just vibing. Four is my favorite. I love it. It's, it is my favorite. It might also be because, like, that's the one that I actually owned on beta. Not on VHS. Oh, I remember the beta days. Yeah. Jeez. It's like, where did you grow up? I grew up in Illinois until I moved oh, to I, Texas. So are like, Alaska. are we Midwest? To, oh, okay. I was going to say maybe it's a Midwest thing. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, at that point I was in Alaska. And then we moved here to the Midwest. And I've been uh, in Nebraska ever since. But yeah. No, it was uh, at that point it was in Alaska. So what draws you to horror now as an adult? I think it's a lot of things. I think um, there's always going to be the comfort and nostalgia for me. Like this has been part of me for as long as I have memory. So Mm -hmm. I think there's always that. Um, I do love the ability of 
fear. Like, I like to be scared. I like to be challenged. And, and that being challenged opens up so much because I think horror can be so much. It can offer catharsis. It can mm. challenge you and it, it can hold up a mirror to society. I think it's mm-hmm. the perfect vehicle that makes so much of what is challenging about life more palatable and easier to understand, if that makes sense. So makes it, perfect it, sense. It's, it's really kind of like an all encompassing genre for me. Hell yeah. So, you know, you said you didn't really get scared a lot as a kid, but there were some scenes like that would scare you. Do you ever get scared now watching horror movies? I mean, yeah. like, I know that you, like us, watch a shit ton of movies, especially being that critic for bloody, like, so many fucking movies. But do you still get scared? I do. Not often. Um, yeah. But, like, just recently, well, recently-ish, like, terrified from a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah. That one comes up a lot. Yep. It does. It comes and it's, up a lot. And, it does, and, like, I saw that at a crowded theater for a film festival and went back to my Airbnb It was checking drawers and closets like one of those things was going to follow me home. Like, so I, I think you do grow up with it and you get more desensitized, but it's never gone completely like there are still movies that get me um the night house had had some really effective scares in that one too so like annabelle creation there's definitely movies out there that do scares so well that i'm i'm very happy that i they still get me like i hope that never wears off yeah same i love to hear that it's just it's like you know because i feel like you watch so many movies all the time you're like you don't get scared anymore i'm like there are sometimes though where a movie will get under your skin yes and you usually appreciate the hell out of it yeah and you don't forget it either you're like that movie really got into my brain and even if it's like what gets into my brain even more too or isn't just i'm thinking about i just watched the feast last week and just like that kind of movie too it's not like scary per se but like really fucks with your head a little bit and like just kind of puts its claws into your brain i love that kind of stuff absolutely yeah you know i was just thinking about like because i i saw terrified as well in a movie theater at a festival and i just i i I love that it's on shutter i love that people are able to freely watch it but man what a perfect movie made for the theater yes yeah and I, i love the energy that you get from a theater experience too you know like hereditary watching that at home isn't the same as hearing like the staggered gasps of people finally noticing Tony Collette in the corner like that's not something you're gonna get at home and there's you know not knocking the home viewing experience especially lately but yeah I love like feeding off of that energy the nervous energy that just builds I did think that I should watch Terrified by myself with noise canceling headphones in the dark and that was like the one time where I actually had to pause and like turn the light on because it was like fucking me up too much to watch it in the pitch black like it was it was a lot I was like nope just kidding like this is a really bad idea no thank you but that was a fucking experience yes god yes so do you um I mean you kind of maybe answered this with Terrified but do you remember the last movie that truly scared you was it terrified? Uh, prob- probably. It probably was, because I don't know that there are there was anything after that was, like, beginning to end, like, oh, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. And, like, went home and turned all the lights on. I think terrified might have been yeah. it. That makes sense. And then what would, what would you say are your favorite horror movies as an adult? 
I think that that is probably going to change on a daily basis based on mood. But Mm -hmm. the one that will never leave, like if I had a top five on any given day, there's like two that are probably never going to leave that top five. And that is The Blob remake Mm -hmm. and The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. So those two will never leave that. But there Mm. are three other slots that are in rotation. Yep. I, I fucking I know love that the thing. Yes, it's a perfect movie. It's a fucking perfect movie. Absolutely. So how did you get into writing? Um, both writing and then also writing about horror. Uh, writing, I mean, something that I think I've always kind of done that I never really thought about, you know, like, I'm going to be a writer. I just, you know, would write stories or catalog my dreams because I will have some crazy dreams sometimes um, or journaling or whatever. And then at some point, I just realized I could do a WordPress and started kind of doing like a journalistic thing there that leaned into horror where I could just kind of dump my thoughts about different horror things, uh, movies or books or that time that I tried to make uh, truffles with green filling from a xenomorph ice tray mold. <laughs> it worked. It worked. So yeah, just That's like amazing. To- totally experimental stuff that really existed just to amuse me. And WordPress had that way of kind of linking you to other blogs and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then that turned into writing for a site, which turned into writing for a site. And this was all free. And eventually it just kind of slowly built and built and built into like getting paid gigs after years of blogging. It was a snowball. Yep. Yeah. The horror movie, the horror movie writer way. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you kind of just like roll your way into paid gigs eventually. Eventually, if, if you're yeah. Lucky. Eventually. Eventually. Yes, time. it requires patience and a lot of perseverance and a lot of not stopping. So, yeah. It's no overnight sensation, get... that's for sure. No. no. How did you get involved with Bloody Disgusting? Uh, weirdly, so I had gotten a couple of paid gigs through Birth Movies Death, and so I had kind of tentatively, that was my first paid gig and where I'd started to get, I guess, my foot in the door and realized that, hey, somebody's willing to pay me to write about movies. <laughs> um, and then Bloody had put out a call. They were looking for writers, on, and this was on Twitter. So if you are an aspiring writer, like Twitter is the best tool. It's a blessing mm-hmm. and a curse. Um, mm-hmm. So yep. they put out, and it was really like a link to a Google Doc, and it was like, you know, kind of your standard pitch. You know, tell us your pitch, you tell us about yourself, and I, you know, was a little bit cocky, and I I was like, here's my pitches, I gave them multiples, and here's my <laughs> bylines for both from birth movies, death. Here's a little bit about myself and you have no female writers right now. So, um, yeah. And then I didn't hear from them and I was like, all right, well that that's fine. I shot my shit. There you go. And went about my merry little way writing for free and occasionally through birth movies, death. And then months go by and they got back to me probably because I was one of I don't know how many thousands that responded to that thing, but yeah. And then, you know, once you get a pitch accepted, keep pitching. And that's what I did. And here's how we snowballed. Yeah. How long have you been writing for them now? Well, like now you're like on staff, but yeah. Yeah. And that's fairly recent, but probably four years. So yeah. Time is fake. I know. I know. (laughs) 
It seems like yesterday, but there's no overnight thing. You know, people put in the work, you just don't see it. Oh, it just takes forever. Exactly. And like Twitter, like you said, Twitter, I wouldn't have a writing career if it wasn't for Twitter. Exactly. Like it is how I've gotten all of my opportunities. And like, that's where a lot of the journalists are. Exactly. And like, as much of a cesspool as Twitter can be, it's also an incredible like networking tool. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's a cesspool, but it's a necessary one. <laughs> yeah. Just like don't be a shit on Twitter. Just yes. like don't be one of those people. Yes. <laughs> just, like, stay don't. out of that and just be nice. Also, everyone, editors read when you tweet. Hundred percent. I know when you, you pitch know us. as an editor. Uh, for dread, so good job, you. But yeah, from experience and from being inside, I also know for a fact that how you behave on Twitter, editors notice, and you will not get gigs if you're a jerk. And they will remember, and they talk, you know? So, yeah. Be nice, please. Be nice. Don't be, <laughs> be a nice. jerk. It's not hard. Just- it's, it isn't. It really isn't. And, like, I always say this. Like, we're just watching horror movies and trying to have a good time. Yes. Like, yeah. But I am, actually, I am curious, since you watch so many movies, what, like, a couple of your favorites from this year? I'm always just curious, because you, you and I, I, think, have pretty similar tastes, too. So I'm always so curious to hear what you love. Let's see. Uh, I feel like I need to pull up and see what's come out this year. Not to put you on the spot. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, it's, there's so many that I'm going to be so mad that I, like, didn't mention this or didn't mention mention that. I will say um, The Boy Behind the Door is definitely one mm-hmm. that is sort of, it's a butt clencher from beginning to end. It is. Um, <laughs> I love, that description so incredible but it's such a good way to describe what a movie is so intense and you're just like oh! Yeah, uh. it's like yeah, and it's so well done for, you can tell it's a low budget, but like to rest a movie like that on such little shoulders. So And they're so good. They're so good. Uh, so yeah, I I cannot endorse that movie enough. Um, the Vigil is so simple, um, but so, so incredibly well done. And I love that it's like, we're finally getting this new aspect to religious horror that is long mm-hmm. overdue. Like, come on. We've got uh, a number of those this year, which is really awesome. Yes. Um, I, I have to plug No One Gets Out Alive just because I thought I was getting into that movie like Grey as another formulaic haunted house movie. And surprise, it is not that at all. I was thrilled. If you like the ritual, watch it. Is that on is Netflix? It, is that on Netflix? Okay. Netflix. I haven't watched That's it right. yet. Yeah. Same uh, Adam Neville universe. So yeah, and I'm sure there's like a ton of other stuff that it's like, why didn't I think of that one? <laughs> Hopefully that's a starter for you. <laughs> Hell yeah. Cool. Can you also tell us a little bit about the uh, Bloody Disgusting podcast that you co-host? Uh, it, yeah, it's kind of like, I like to describe it as a weekly morning talk show type situation. Um, there's already so many podcasts that get into analysis um, like yourselves and sit around a movie. Um, instead of trying to do that, I just thought that uh, what if we weekly run down what we watched or what we read or what we love, but then catch you up to speed on on the news, um, like the the topics you might have missed, headlines you might have missed, and what's coming out for the week. So, yeah, it's kind of like your short and sweet catch-up for the week. Hell yeah. Cool. Love that. And you co-host it with Xena, right? Yeah, Xena and uh, John, who he does a horror narration podcast called Creepy. But yeah, Xena Dixon. Cool. That's awesome. Okay. 
We've talked about your horror history, but Megan, what movie are we discussing today? We are discussing Event Horizon! Uh, yay! Um, okay. To catch everyone up, if you're not familiar with Event Horizon, Paul W.S. Anderson's 1997 film, um, a rescue crew investigates a spaceship that disappeared into a black hole and has now returned with someone or something new on board. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> okay, so Megan, take us back. How old were you when you saw this? How did you see this? Tell us everything. What about it terrified you? We want to hear your horror story. Okay, so I this was a little bit older than my origin story here, but I was a teen. I was probably okay. 16 and I and I can't remember if I picked this out from the video store or my dad did and it was on the new release wall. I think that that's what happened is he picked this. And I was looking for something to do because I was, I don't know about you, but I was always a night owl as a teen and everybody would go to bed and I'd still be up. And I decided that I was going to raid his stash of what he'd rented and grab that out and put it on and had no idea what I was in for. <laughs> um, and so this was literally late. I started this probably about 1.30 at night. And the house is completely dark and silent. Everybody's asleep. And I'm watching this in my room. And uh, it happened fairly quick because this is a movie that doesn't really waste any time. You, nope. you get there and stuff starts happening immediately. And it was probably about the time that a character is starting to encounter her son on a table mm. that I, I did what... Mary Beth did with uh, Terrified, where I literally hit pause and noped, and the lights come on, and I'm literally trying to <laughs> dial all of my friends like a little shit to oh, be like, you're gonna keep me, you're gonna keep me company right now because uh, I can't handle what's happening on screen. Like, what the hell is this? I was terrified, and that was the first time that I think a movie had affected me on such a visceral level. When I was a little bit older, and, and I'd, I'd been watching horror movies, and this mm -hmm. was a consistent experience throughout. It wasn't like, here's a Zuni doll at the end of a, an anthology, or here's one stop-motion scene out of a movie. It was like, this was an onslaught that I had to be talked down from a ledge before I was willing <laughs> to hit play again. <laughs> So did you, oh you manage to find someone to talk to? I did. I mean, at one thirty in the morning. Yes, like, <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, obviously, I had friends who were night owls too. Uh -huh. I mean, I don't. We drank sodas all day, jacked up in sugar. I don't know. I don't know how, but I, I did. I did find somebody, Ruben, who is probably not ever going to hear this because we haven't talked in a long time. But thanks, Ruben, Ruben. If you're out there, Ruben, you were my hero that night. Shout out to a real one. Yes, <laughs> Ruben, answering the calls at the week hours of the morning to be like it's okay it's just a movie <laughs> had they seen it before had no. they seen it had anyone you called seen event her it's no. it was new so i wasn't yeah, sure. I'm pretty okay. sure it was like new on video i don't think anybody had a clue what i was talking about but you know it's a real friend when they're like you uh sound like you're speaking nonsense but it's okay <laughs> it's gonna be fine so ruben talked you down and he then you, you down. finished you finished the rest of the movie? He gave me the courage to finish the movie. And, you know, it was scary, but at least I had that, like, if it gets bad again, I will just dial his ass right back up again. <laughs> <laughs> you think 
sleeping, you're sleeping. If I'm not sleeping, you're not sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And Mary Beth is choking. <laughs> I'm good. I just thought of that gif um, from Bad Girls Club where she's like banging the pots and pans together. It's like, if you're not sleep, like, I'm not, if I can't sleep, you can't sleep. And no. they're keeping everybody up. I've taken everyone to hell with me. <laughs> hell in a spaceship. Yes. Hell in a spaceship. Well, and like, so do you remember any other scenes that's like really stuck out to you too? Like that really like got into your head or the whole thing? Like the whole thing's pretty fucking disturbing. The whole thing, just yes, really got me. I mean, the... The, the kid stuff was what really was unsettling for me. Um, but, I mean, it was all of it. It was like when Baby Bear was committing oh. suicide through an airlock. Oh, my God. And, like, what, what is... That's, like, a high adrenaline scene. It was the dock when he's getting splayed open. It was the mm. glimpses of hell. Like, you, I, I still, to this day, haven't really seen a depiction of hell quite like that. Be- you know, before or after uh, Sam Neal getting haunted in the corridors by his wife. I mean, haunted house movies, especially as I got older, like ghosts and stuff tend to unnerve me more. Like I've moved past the dolls, but it's the ghosts that, that tend to freak me out. Because how do you fight that, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that the ghost stuff was done so well. This is literally a haunted house in space with a hell twist, you know? And they did that so well that it was just between the haunted house and the ghostly elements and this really kind of foreign look that was cold and sterile and not normal. Like, all of that just turned into this perfect recipe of what the fuckery. Love that what the fuckery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I... So, when, <laughs> I saw this movie uh, a couple years ago for the first time, and I definitely saw deleted scenes before I saw the movie, because mm-hmm. when I saw the movie, I was like, why wasn't that in there? It was like this like extended scene of, like, I think it's Lawrence Fishburne seeing glimpses into hell. It's at the, the, kind of towards the end yeah. where Sam Neill doesn't have skin anymore and like grabs his head. And I found this on YouTube to make sure I wasn't making this whole thing <laughs> up. I was like, am I just like hallucinating? But there are like these really intense scenes of like them all wrapped in barbed wire, like all people wrapped in barbed wire and it's really bloody and it's really nasty. And I thought that was in the movie. And when I watched it and it didn't happen, I was like, this isn't the right cut. And my my boyfriend, now fiance, was like, what are you talking about? Like, this is the right cut of the movie because he, lo- he loves this movie. And I was like, but what about the hell part? And he's like, oh, yeah. oh no, 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 no. <laughs> and I was, I, like, I liked it a lot because I love space. I love Paul W.S. Anderson. The suicide scene really got in, like, into my head. Like, that was horrific. Like, this, that was just extremely hard to watch and like especially with the woman who's like baby bear please and it's like a proxy kid and it's just so heart-wrenching and this like i knew it was going to be disturbing but i didn't think i was going to get like it is in my head as it did when i first watched it like it's much more psychological than i was expecting in terms of like interrogating memory and like looking back in your own mistakes and your past and like getting confronted with all of that while you're confined in this really tiny place that is cold and foreign to you and just like full of shit and you're like i have to get out but I'm also seeing my dead son and my dead wife, and I don't know what's going on. Yes. And it's absolutely... It's, that's hell, though. Like, that is a version of hell that is absolutely horrific. You don't know what's real and what's not. You don't know if your this dead relative is actually alive. And it's just, like... 
incredibly upsetting. That scene with Justin, though, the protracted suicide moment is so... Even watching it now, it, that is probably like the the standout moment for me, just because it like hits really hard. the 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 start where he's talking about the darkness and the dark inside me from the other place, and he's like, "I won't go back there." And if you could see the things I've seen, you wouldn't stop me. And then his his change where he's like, "Mom, mother bear, open the door. I don't want to die in here." And then them trying to give him practical advice to survive as much as he possibly can in space. And then his eyes are erupting. Like, it's just, it's such a mm-hmm. horrific moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. God, you see his, like, veins, like, po- like pushing out. And Lawrence Fishburne is, like, trying to be calm, like, going towards him. Like, yeah, it's okay. Like, don't think about it. Yeah, like you said, it's just, like, And how could you? I mean, it's, like, an insane situation. But, and, like, it's, like, the saddest part, and it's something that, like, is brought on by the, like, supernatural, horrific stuff, but at the same time, like, it's a real, like, it's, that's what happens to the human body in space, which is great. Like, that also fucked me up. I'm like, yes. I, like, I don't like space. Yes. Space scares the shit out of me. I don't. Yeah. Space is very claustrophobic to me, and it always, and like, that just made it even worse. Like, mm-mm. Like, okay. Space. <laughs> outer space and underwater, I tend to gravitate big time to both, because that's a whole added level of survival that you, we're not meant to go these places, and there's a reason for that. And now you, it's not as simple as, well, uh, I'm just going to go get a motel to escape these ghosts. No. <laughs> right. No. There's nowhere to go. <laughs> there's, like, nowhere, yeah. You I'm are let you from home. There's I'm no not push, like rolling oxygen. out the TV. <laughs> we have to go yeah. get the the oxygen tubes to make sure we can get home. Like I love that yep. moment where Sean Pertree's character is like, "I don't need oxygen. Let's get the fuck out of here." Like, yes. <laughs> you nope. might think differently on your route home. Not that he probably, but yeah. But like the sentiment is like, fuck it. Like he he's the character that's vocalizing ever, what what you as a viewer are. Like let's get out. This place is fucked. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Damned if you do. Damned if you don't. At that point, it's like no oxygen or whatever, whatever nastiness is happening yes. on this ship. Because I'd rather I- suffocate than whatever the fuck is going to happen to me. Yeah. <laughs> so like, it's, you know what? We're good. I, yeah. I don't want to find out. Because everything about, like, the, you know, you have Baby Bear's, everything about his his suicide attempt is made even more terrifying by the implications of, like, what could he have seen that drove him to that? And, you know, I go back and forth, you know, with... I want to see this cut that we're never going to see, but I also think that that holding back probably is the wiser choice in the long run because of the lack of knowing what exactly he saw. Well, and like it makes it much more of a cosmic horror. Like obviously we're in space, but like it does really lend itself to that kind of unknowable madness. Yeah. That I think this movie does really well with. And like again, I like my letterbox review from 2018 was like, I want to see hell. What the fuck? Like I was so bummed that we didn't get to see like that version of hell. But then like upon rewatching it, it is kind of like plays into the cosmic horror aspect of, like, you don't get to know. Like, hell is such a personal thing. Yeah. And, like, a lot in the end it that you, there's no way to really encapsulate what hell is because hell is different for everybody. And that's fucking scary. You're like, oh, great. I get my own little personal capsule of bullshit that I get to deal with. And, like, that's that's harrowing. Yeah. And I even say that kind of makes me feel gross. <laughs> <laughs> like, ugh. <laughs> 
Ugh. So, Terry, when did you first see this movie? Oh, boy. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I, you, you were going to have to talk about it eventually. <laughs> so this came out in, what, 97, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I missed it in movie theaters because at this point in time, uh, I was sort of out of the horror genre. And it wasn't until we saw Scream 2 on VHS at watching the first one on VHS and then watching the second one that I got pulled back in. And my friend, um, her name is Allison. She, uh, I watched, it's the same girl I've talked to on this podcast before that I watched Pulp Fiction with when we, when we talked about that movie. Um, she was very into me. I was so closeted, but I was so not into her, but like she wanted to watch movies with me. So I was like, sure. (laughs) And I remember watching this movie and she loved it. And I absolutely hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh Oh, uh oh. Uh -oh. Did this change? Are you still silently hating it right now? Um, I mean, hate is a strong word. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Are we going to toss you off the airlock? He told, he, told me, he told me that before we started recording. I was like, oh, no, you don't like this movie? Oh, our vibing is ending now, I isn't know, it? Oh, I know. The vibe is ending. Now it's Megan and I. Now we're trading off. Now we're trading off. The baton is being passed. Is it warm in here? It's just turning bright red, I can tell already. Um, Yeah, so I I really didn't like it back then. But again, I was the quintessential, like, film nerd at that point, where it was like, ugh, this is Alien. Ugh, this is Hellraiser. Ugh, this is all of these movies that are so much better, because I was, like, seeing all of that kind of stuff. And I remember remember (laughs) saying that I thought this director was a hack. You can see Mary Beth's face right now. Did you? Does this mean you're a Mortal Kombat hater too? Because I loved Mortal Kombat and didn't even realize that they were the same director at the time that I watched this. Yeah, I did not like Mortal Kombat. Oh, oh. I haven't seen it since I first saw it in the movie theater because I. We're over. So it's over. It. We're done. This podcast <laughs> is over. <laughs> no more fun. No more scarred for life. <laughs> So Mary Beth is in need of a new (laughs) podcast (laughs) co-host. It was bound to happen at some point. I thought it was going to happen over my my thoughts on The Shining, and it didn't. So this is the true Event Horizon, which is even more hilarious. Who knew that it would be Event Horizon? This is the true Paul W S Anderson scarred for life here. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But I love Paul W S Anderson, but acknowledge that his movies are not for everybody. Like I know that they are a lot. I've softened my. my, I've softened on him. Like I. I have seen every single Resident Evil movie. Not all of them are good. No. <laughs> Not all um, of them are good. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed Monster Hunter. Once I, like, got past the fact that this was not Monster Hunter but that I've played because it is nothing <laughs> like so you Monster Hunter. gotten over that hurdle with the Resident Evil movies. Being no, I sure like didn't. The, the I didn't like okay. them when I first saw them. And I've, I've sort of, like, appreciated them for what they are since then. But... Yeah, I think as far as him as a director, the the video game adaptations, what really bothered me, particularly about Resident Evil and Monster Hunter, is that they were nothing like the games. Yeah. That's why I liked them. 
Like, I was like, like, why? That's not shade to the games, but that's just like, I just think it's really hard to adapt video games. Like, it's it's fucking impossible. And so I always had this approach of like taking the ethos of the game, but making something different. Like, Mortal Kombat, incredible. Camp, incredible bullshit. Goro gets nut punched. Like, it's like, it's like, Lambert telling so <laughs> dumb jokes and it's like it it's works just, but like again it's like I went in expecting something silly and like and so I guess if you're if you are like a Mortal Kombat fan in the 90s and you go See, into it and you're like you fucking ruined my game I was going in being like I, that, so irritated that. that it was a PG-13 yeah. horror movie uh, or okay. you know based on a like game where people's Adventure. heads get like ripped off right like yeah <laughs> I can see that. I mean, like Resident Evil was very jarring for me because I, I, I love those games, and mm-hmm. I have no affiliation with Monster Hunter, so I was free from those those chains to just be like, yeah, <laughs> I was free. Mostly. I was free. There was no previous <laughs> expectations. Mostly, so. I was just annoyed that they did the whole we're focusing on Earth and dropping them into this fantasy world because the fantasy world of monster hunter is so lush and interesting that's and what we got was a desert i think i was annoyed by ron perlman's wig but other than that oh my god (laughs) (laughs) the thing living on ron perlman's head like why why that is a choice my friends that is a choice (laughs) and i guess the moral of the story is you can count on paul ws anderson to make these choices you certainly you can. can. If, there's, if there's anyone out there that you can account, that you can count on to make some weird ass choices, it is in fact him because he'll do it. Yeah, <laughs> and he'll put his wife in it, and good for him. Yeah, because she's I hot. Mean, she she is. Yeah, she is absolutely. She's definitely. I will say though uh, that I do wish that he would go back to do an R-rated horror at least once more because it has been so long since he's done that. I think he's fallen into this niche kind of like sci-fi horror action hybrid emphasis mm-hmm. on the yeah. action so yeah. g- give me something like event horizon if if that footage is long gone which i think years ago there was some news that they had found footage on vhs in a trunk or something like the odds though are that we're probably not going to see that so give me give me something else from your your mind i would love to see him go back to kind of this true kind of horror. Yes, this is sci-fi horror, but this isn't but it's horror, action yeah. sci-fi horror. This is pure horror. I would love to see him now much far removed from this movie and far removed from, you know, making this as, as I don't remember how, I don't know how old he was, but seeing that many years added on to it and the talent, I would love to see him do something in this nature. Absolutely. Again. Like try to scare me. Like, let me see what you, you can do. I want, I want that, you know, like event horizon it's now in the 90s and now it's harder to go back and watch this because okay the cgi water bottles floating yeah like when they say ice there's ice and to be fair like i you know when i revisited this ahead of of this episode i i was thinking like well okay there was no high def tv you know to watch this on so probably didn't look as glaring then but now they're like there's ice floating in the air i'm like how can you tell what is this it's like like you see the corpse floating and you're like and then the gravity happens and corpsicle and that's pretty fucking crazy when the body shatters that's pretty cool but then then when the ice is floating in like the hell portal and then it all comes crashing down i was like 
Although that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, and the eye Ooh. thing that doesn't hold up. Like, I, I oh, appreciate yeah. what they were going for, but 90s CG, is it ages itself so badly and across the board. Not just Event Horizon. Like, lots of, you know, oh, horror yeah. movies. No, this, this isn't, like, yeah. shitting on Event Horizon. Like, that was no. just... It was, a, it was a new era for doing the CG. CG was becoming, like, a big thing, and it still looked terrible. But I also do wonder, like you said, I wonder if... Because I don't remember it looking bad. No. And I don't know if it was just because, like, you're just new to the, the CG or if it was because we're watching it on this boxy ass television VHS copy that's probably been watched a hundred times and yeah. is not exactly the greatest copy. Like, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, because exactly. I don't remember it being so bad, but you watch anything on VHS and it's going to mask lots of things. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's what that's kind of the format that it was made for. It's not not Sterling way, 4K. Yeah, not 4K. <laughs> not even you know Blu-ray quality. No. Like none of this. So yeah, it looked great back then. Uh, now, okay, iffy. But like we you know we were talking about the cut that doesn't exist, and it's like it was like an original two-hour and ten-minute cut, mm-hmm. right? I think that was like shown to the executives, and they saw it, and they were like, "What the fuck is this?" And it was like gory and nasty and there's a part in this for those who haven't seen it there's like an orgy like a found footage blood orgy which i i forgot about like the the cool like found footage interface and i was like i find found footage in everything now (laughs) (laughs) everything is found footage if you try hard enough in my brain um but like there's this like it's it's pretty it's pretty gross but you don't see it's like very quick cutting of everyone from the previous crew video log of them kind of having violent sex, nasty shit going on around them. Yeah. But like one of the scenes in the in the cut that has never been seen is like it's much longer, it's much more sadistic, it's much nastier. And even like without any of that, this movie is pretty gross. And I feel like Paul W.S. Anderson has an eye for gore mm-hmm. and like really weird, nasty set pieces that I really want to see more of because I mean, like, this movie is gnarly, but it could have been way gnarlier, I will say. Like, this movie could have been so much gnarlier. And I am sad that we haven't gotten access to see it, which goes back to your point of I want to see Paul W.S. Anderson do another horror movie yeah. because I want to see that man given like carte blanche to make something really gross. Because he hits a lot of, like, Hellraiser points in this. Like, this movie always makes me think of Hellraiser because the gravity drive, that's what it's called, right, is, like, incredible. Like, who does that? Like, who was like, yeah, let's make the gravity drive look like this incredible art installation and, like, really, like, in a spaceship. Like, this doesn't look scientific at all. No. And it has the ball in the middle. It's just, it looks like fucking something at home. (laughs) It's like... Not safe. <laughs> but she wants she wants the the inside peek at the, at Paul. She wants his Cenobite version. What what does it look <laughs> yeah, like when you oh open that lament configuration? Um, <laughs> but yeah, to, speaking to what you were saying though, like I do love the set designs so much. I mean, you've mm. got this crazy round room that looks like this crazy chamber, and then he pops open a panel, and it's this like 
green lit up hallway (laughs) of circuitry and what and that's kind of like this this recurring theme throughout this ship what cenobite designed this because you've got (laughs) that gunmetal color and then it's offset with this green and that recurs through the whole thing like that med bay you cannot tell me these people failed like didn't fail their psyche valve before going to Neptune because (laughs) he's got the tray laid out and it's Uh got bone saws and stuff what were you doing what were you preparing for were you like we're gonna go get some some space specimens and hack them open like i you you people were unhinged before you went to hell that's why you're having orgies i i do have a question about that because watching this now um and you they, the way that he sets up um sam neal's eventual well, I say eventual, but it actually happens really quickly. And I, yes. I would hazard to say that he was probably 90% there before he got on the ship. Because yes. it, the, I, f- I forgot that the way that he said that Paul uh, sets this up, where you have like the, the, the scene on the event horizon and it like focuses in on a man screaming and then goes out of out of his eyes. So immediately, like there's like a connective tissue there that maybe the ship is calling him back at some point and he's like having these nightmares of that ship because yeah. his room wherever he's staying on that space station looks like a padded room like it yeah. looks like a padded cell that he's already in so there's like already these like visual cues that shit ain't right with this guy and i remember for when i first saw this and also watching this again because it it has literally been i don't i bad at math since 1998 i would say since i saw it so what what is that like 20 Four years, maybe? It's the first time since you hated it for the first time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I, I, I forgot that he was he's a villain. I thought he was, you know, I'm oh, like Sam yeah. Neill, oh. you know, coming off of Jurassic Park, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Like, he's, oh, he's cool. the hero. And so even watching this again, I was like, oh, yeah, no, no. he's a bad guy. He but, is very you know, bad. Like, incredibly bad. Yes. <laughs> but they, like, set that up immediately with the padded rooms, with, like, the, the kind of connection of, of um, Event totally. Horizon with his his eyesight, like, that kind of aspect on, like, seeing, can you see? Yeah. And it's, it's see? I think that's a really interesting play against what he's known for, what Sam Neill was known for. For sure, at the time, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he made such a good villain. I, I like his descent for a few reasons, because, yeah, it, I remember watching it um, for the first time and thinking that this ship, whether it called to him for, from afar or it just preyed on him, I mean, this thing is now sentient and can tell, like, what your weaknesses are, and, you know, clearly he's got some darkness in him. He's, <laughs> he's the one that loves this ship so much. Great, now you're our new proxy or whatever. Um, but I I love that the whole I'm a sucker for symmetry and I love that it essentially opens with a nightmare and ends with a nightmare. Mm. And it's like, you know, he wakes up in, in that kind of bay when they're waking up from hypersleep and, and ends with another person having a nightmare and waking up and, you know, from hypersleep. And it's like, yeah, okay. I love bookends. Thank you. It's 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 really that's actually a really smart way of like ending beginning and ending the movie. I completely agree. Uh, you kind of we so we're talking about Hellraiser and there's two things in this movie that like really make even now make me go really. It's when he says have such wonderful things to show you. I was like okay, <laughs> okay, and then later fine, on fine fine <laughs> later on he they're talking about the eyes and he's like where we're going we won't need eyes to see and I'm like. Really? Back to the future? Really? Is that what we're doing here? 
I yeah. mean, at the time, <laughs> though, at the time, like, that imagery was a little startling. That's not really the type of horror that you were getting at the True. time. Like, that was new for me. So it's easier to overlook, at least then, when in context of what was being released. Like, it's easier to overlook the stuff, like, mm-hmm. the cheesy lines. Now, as as an adult who's seen this movie many, many times, <laughs> a lot of the stuff is, like, okay, guys, like, Cooper shooting himself back to the ship after nearly getting blown to bits. And that shot does not hold up well. Like, I've seen Gravity Kids. I know better now than I did in the late 90s and the turn of the century. Like, (laughs) that would not work. That would not work. And it's also a little bit harder now that we're in 2021 to be like, this takes place in 2047. Okay. (laughs) That is something that I was like, we are so far behind schedule because that little opening crawl of 2015 first permanent colony established on the moon I'm like well we missed that and then 2032 <laughs> commercial mining begins on mars i'm like whoa hold the phone we are uh, so behind schedule that's like i know <laughs> 11 I love years that. from now that that shit ain't happening we are i love when that happens in, in like horror movies in the 90s you're like from like before now and you're just like oh guys you were so full of hope yeah, oh, I know. for where we were headed like terminator we should have already been blown up by now i mean that's it was that's very very earnest (laughs) timeline because even 2015 that's like 18 years away from yeah yeah i'm like really you really thought we were gonna be on the moon in 2015 we we have not gotten back to the yeah no we are we're I mean, that's really lucky for us in the long run, because we don't need to be bringing hell back on a spaceship. (laughs) So, you know, that's great, because a lot of these things, we don't really want to be dealing with in our timeline, but you you can't help but, like, giggle at the ambition. Yeah. And the optimism. Space can keep whatever fucking hell shit is going on up yeah, there. I don't want I don't, anything to I do mean, with anything, it. Anything space. We don't want it. I don't need your space hermit crabs, <laughs> Apollo 18. I don't need your weird spaceship that was a little bit S&M to begin with. Nope. So it's it's fine. I want none of it. I'm a little fine at some of these errors. But yeah, some of the dialogue is funny. But some of it works, you know? Like yeah. Sam Neill saying, I am home I as am he home. shrinks into the shadows. Oof. Yeah, that's a good moment. That is a good moment. Yeah. It's give or take. I mean, I think the strengths for me work that it's, I can overlook some of the silliness. Dude, also is a really good moment for me. The Paramount picture logo. And you might think that's in jest, but no, my kink is when the like logo (laughs) (laughs) transitions into the movie. I'm thinking like in Waterworld, how like the the universal mm-hmm. and it like and here it's like Paramount Pictures and then all of a sudden we're like zooming past them into the sky. I'm like, I love this. That's like my yes. favorite thing. They don't do that enough. They need to do that more. Terry hates the movie, but the logo is aces. <laughs> <laughs> Hate is a strong word. I am warming up to this movie, and I'm warming up to it more as we're talking about it. I have to say. You're about as warm as Deep Space is, though, right? (laughs) Hey. Hey. One thing that I did find while I was was doing a little bit of, of research on the inspiration for this film is a lot of people that love Warhammer 40,000 are think this is an unofficial, like, 
prequel to Warhammer 40,000. What? Because apparently in the Warhammer 40,000 universe, the way that they do space travel is they do they go through these warps and warps take them through this other dimension where demons of chaos live and spaceships have that travel through them are have to have this this shield called the Geller field in order to protect them because should the field emitters fail or malfunction, the crew of the ship will be at the mercy of all these horrors and will likely be consumed by the demons or become their playthings. And so the way that this movie kind of talks about about travel is is pulled almost directly from this idea from War, Warhammer Forty Thousand. So I did find online people were saying that this is like their unofficial like fan theory that this is like a, a prequel to Warhammer. So what you're saying is that we need to start a petition asap that he needs to do a Dead Space movie. Uh, like- okay. Yes. I am I am so on board with this. You have no idea. That is that I, fantastic. I mean, you put this in my head and I want it badly because if he's going to be doing game adaptations, do this. Do this. Please. I love Dead Space. And that's why I love Event Horizon so much is that I loved Dead Space and I played that first and then I found this and I was like, this is scratching the itch that Dead Space has left behind in my heart. <laughs> well, no wonder you were like, I need the gnarly version because Dead Space gets freaking gnarly. Oh, yeah. it sure does. The oh, eye yeah, trauma. Disgusting. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Yep. Yeah. That's exact, that's exactly. Just I add will... a little bit, sprinkle some sexual sadism into his <laughs> face. <laughs> <laughs> a little amputation and some SM. I have faith you can do this. <laughs> it, it is a good point, though, because I do think that without this movie, there are a couple things that we wouldn't get. One of them is I, I think dead space does pull directly from this a whole lot. I also think as I was rewatching this now as an, as an adult that like sunshine, I feel is, oh. is influenced by this movie. Oh yeah. There's a lot of oh things that it's exploring that forever. So good. Holy shit. It's so good. I loved sunshine so much. But Same. It, it kind of reminded me, it was like, okay, so there's like the kind of like aspect of the devil. There's like the, the kind of cosmic horror of people, you know, committing suicide on the ship. There's like mental weird things happening, mental deterioration, um, deep space isolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily go to hell, but like it, there's, there's definitely <laughs> hell on the ship. The mind is hell. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I don't like space. No. <laughs> I don't like space at all. Space, yeah, is not a place I need to go ever. I also kind of talking about that the director's cut, which I really am sad that we probably will never see. I would like to see it just out of curiosity. But yeah. there was a, a, a scene, at least on Wikipedia, that I was like, oh, what is this? Where Weir apparently hallucinates that Justin turns into his wife in a scene that was like in the original director's cut. I'm like, what kind of scene would that be? Yeah. Uh, nothing good in my head. I just feel like nothing. <laughs> just nothing good. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, you know, scenes that stayed in that might have kind of led to that. And there's, like, the one moment where the doctor, like, Jason Isaacs, uh, holds a scalpel to break up a fight. Mm-hmm. And it's so out of character for him. So maybe they were trying to play more with that. I don't know. I don't know, but that would have been a weird scene to see. I'm curious, would they have, like, leaned into, like, the sexuality of it or what? what? Exactly. It's just, it's yeah, I weird. Know. I mean, she, Mary Beth wanted more sexuality. We almost there got go. it. I mean, she was <laughs> walking around nude, like, every time she appeared. She was. A lot of n- weird nudity in this. Like, why is she like, naked? nothing sexual about this. This is just eerie. Just, just, 
Yeah, that's true. It was just like really eerie. It wasn't trying to be sexy. It was just like a weird kind of like uncanny thing on top of everything else. Just like, what the fuck is going on here? You don't need eyes where we're going, but you don't need clothes either. <laughs> no, you... Or skin, it turns no, out. skin. Oh. Or skin. I mean, they were all completely naked in the little hell glimpses that we got, and then he's like, you know, I'm just gonna take my clothes off and self-mutilate. So, yeah. As you do. Clothes totally gets in the way of that. And, like, we talked about this, but this movie is so... Inc- like, the scares in this movie are incredible. Mm. Like, the the gnarly... Like, these parts are of body horror are incredible. Like, Sam Nell takes out his eyes and yeah. takes off his skin and self-mutilates and just, like... There's these flashes of violence, plus the corpsicle. Like, it's funny when you say corpsicle, but, like, the fact that you, if you really think about it, the fact that it can be so cold and your body can shatter like that, like, that's, that is wild to me. It's horrifying. Yeah. Take, Jason 10 took notes. It it definitely did. But I feel like this movie captures, like, the, the, the horrors of space, not just, like, from the hell aspect, but from, like, the, no, like, space is scary as shit. Like, there are terrifying things that can happen to the body in space. Like, again, going back to the decompression suicide attempts, like, I didn't really think about it until now about how this movie captures not only scary horror, but also just, like, the fact that space does not play by the rules that we are used to. Yeah. And that anything we could do will kill us instantly. Absolutely. Like, I still, I still quote this, um, well, I don't, not necessarily verbatim, but like, there's that speech that Lawrence Fishburne is giving about how fire in space glides like water. And I just loved that. It's so good. Uh, total side personal story, but like, my husband nearly set me on fire the other day around Halloween when we were cutting pumpkins. I'm, I'm jesting. It's not funny. I'm so sorry. I'm trying to make this as comical as possible, but like he thought he would clean out his pumpkin we were carving for Halloween with like canned air, but he's turning it upside down and like, oh, look, there's fog. And I didn't even think about it when I was, like, trying to, you know, light it up for the jack-o'-lantern, and that, that's what I thought of. I thought of Event Horizon oh, about, wow. like, it gliding. Like, all of us, I didn't even get the, the flame, you know, luckily I had one of those long lighters, but it was, like, poof, right in my face. It just gl- glided, like, yeah. So kids, don't do this at home. <laughs> <laughs> Holy so, yeah. shit. Yeah, I was, mean, like, I, I understand the, like, being, oh, cool, yeah, canned air, that'll do, that'll get all the shit out of there quickly. No, like, I mean, it did. His pumpkin looked great. I just, you know, nearly lost my oh, eyebrows. Singed <laughs> <laughs> so. eyebrows, no singed eyebrows. Was, awesome. was it a good is, pumpkin? It, yeah, it was a great pumpkin. It was uh, the creep. I, I have pictures that I posted on social media, but maybe not on Twitter. But yeah, he had a really great pumpkin. Like, the effect worked for him. I just, you know, <laughs> like, if I hadn't used a match instead of the, one of those huge lighters, like... I, I could have burned myself. Um, but yeah, and this is how ingrained horror is in my brain that I'm thinking of Lawrence Fishburne's speech about how fire just glides. I'm like, oh, this is what he meant. I'm never going to space. This is as close as I'm getting. It's I'm scary kind of like, enough. I experience that. Exactly. Like, I'm just lighting a pop fucking jack-o'-lantern. And like, yes. I don't need to know about this. Like, Flammable real, like, my life gets me close to space. <laughs> <laughs> Being brought closer to space, thanks to jack-o'-lanterns <laughs> Jack-o-lantern, and air. Yes. But it also is like, this is as far as I want to get to space. My living room. <laughs> Same. Same, yeah. honestly. Space is bad. 
So is playing with fire, kids. <laughs> <laughs> now, would you want to go underwater? I'm curious. No, no. Okay. Like, I... I have irrational water phobias. I want swimming pools with chlorinated water. Like I, and this is why I gravitate to towards aquatic horrors so much because things like deep space and deep sea. No, 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 no. <laughs> like no, I don't even want to wade into water that I can't see what's in there. Like if it's brown, whatever, murky, and something rubs up against my leg, you better not be next to me because I'm on your shoulders. <laughs> So. It's it's so funny about water in particular because I, I'm a, I've told the story in the podcast before, but like I remember being in Alaska, swimming in a swimming pool inside in Alaska, being terrified that if I was swimming on my back, that Jaws would be under the water and coming to get me. I had a phobia as a kid in my bathtub that Skeletor's head was going to come <laughs> out of the faucet. Why? I don't know. Like. <laughs> So I would be in the bathtub as far away from the, the drain or, you know, you would think Pennywise because I did watch Pennywise. But in my head, it was going to be Skeletor. Skeletor. Yeah. No, never the logical thing. Never the logical never the thing. Logic. Never like yeah. the thing that would make sense. No, absolutely not. Yeah, Why so would that happen? Child child baths were as far <laughs> away from those as possible. I do want to talk about the score. I love the score. I love the score. It's good. It's good. It's, it was made by Michael uh, Kamen, Common? Kamen, I'm guessing, is yes. his last name. Yes. And talk about quite a career as a composer. He did Iron Giant and Pink Floyd. He worked on Pink Floyd, The Wall, which both two of which we have talked about on the podcast. Wild range of movies yes. there. <laughs> he did the music to <laughs> He did the music to Lethal Weapon, Life Force, The Dead Zone, Die Hard, Brazil. Adventures in Babysitting. Like, the list goes on. There is, like, a really infectious, like, high energy to the score that you don't really get with Haunted House movies. You, they're usually kind of, like, slow and eerie and stuff. And this one's like, no, no, we we have a pulse to maintain. It definitely kind of reminded me of, like, the... I mean, Industrial was, like, all the rage in, in the 90s. And it kind of reminded me, like, it was, you know, building on maybe what... Uh, was started in Mortal Kombat with that sort yeah. of like kind of techno feel to Maybe it. Maybe he saw the sets and he was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm getting some major industrial vibes. Look at oh, this yeah. med bay. Look at this med bay. <laughs> Look at this med bay. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this torture chamber, AKA the core. Like, yes. Yes. <laughs> with the spiky walls. No, but like speaking of the med bay though, Jason Isaac's character with the hooks. Yes. Ooh, like getting yeah. vivisected. That's fucking incredible. Like, also, hello, uh, I mean, Jason like, Isaacs. He's so good. He's usually like, it's uh, there's so much against typecasting. You think of him mm. and he's usually a villain and he's such a nice guy in this. And Sam Neill, like Coming Mr. Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park hero. No, what a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And just like this, again, this like moment of practical effects of like you see him hanging by the hooks with like, open up like a science experiment and just like Mm. stir i know that there was an extended scene where they did more close-ups of his guts and stuff like that i saw that on youtube but like these set pieces and it made me think of midsommar just because Mm. i love me a good person hanging by hooks part like it's just and like it's for some reason like that kind of display of the human body like open like that is so disturbing but so incredibly cool i sound crazy but like horror people get it you know what i mean like it's so disturbing and so fucked up but also just like oh my god like it's almost beautiful to look at and that's like 
again, part of, some of parts of this movie, you're like, wow, this is really cool to look at and really awful. And I feel kind of gross being fascinated by what I'm seeing, but like, I can't look away kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. He does really good death, like design. <laughs> you think you do death. You, you do, do death good. You, you, do death you good. give me good death. I understand. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I've been thinking ahead to Resident Evil, where mm. he's like, "Let me vivisect with the lasers." Oh yeah, and, oh, my God. and One a of my all-time favorite. Death. And just yeah, yes. and so he knows how to make an art form of it. Just. Go full throttle. Do do dead space. Please do dead space. Oh, Give me the monsters. Seriously. Give me the gore. Give me all of that. Mia Jovovich can totally be in it. Yeah. Yeah. She can totally be the person in it. Exactly. I That would be... I would love to see him do dead space. I mean, you like video games. You like horror. Let's do it. You just, there's action. There's, like, there's all the things. All the things that you love. Just dial it into, like, more scares. I'm excited for the remake of Dead Space. By the way. We are willing it into existence. We are manifesting. <laughs> give it. Yes. Uh, um, do we want to give us uh, a wrap up and give us our rating out of five? Sounds good. All right, Terry. How many corpse calls out of five do you give about Horizon? <laughs> no pressure, buddy. <laughs> uh, oh my god, Terry's like I can't. I can plead the fifth. You can I will do not it. give a rating. We will still be friends after this. That's, it's okay. <laughs> We will just sit in our corner and rebond over Toxic Crusaders coloring books. There you go. And Aquatic Horror. I'm, I'm there yeah. with you with Aquatic Horror. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. I, I I can't give it much more than two and a half corpsicles. I guess. This is higher than I was going to give it initially. I, I I think there's some really great moments in this. In this, I absolutely. I you know I was joking about the the kind of Paramount logo but i do think that's i do love seeing that but <laughs> but you know i'm going to tease you from henceforth of like bumping this movie up stars for a logo <laughs> no <laughs> kidding aside i i i did think that justin's death was very emotional like that is the kind of emotional core that like i that i think the movie was trying to go through for for a lot of these didn't things. Die. I know he didn't, but in the words of um, Jason Isaac's character, he won't look pretty, but he'll live. Yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> Anyways, yes, carry on. Sir. Um, okay, that moment I think is is fantastic. I think there are some individual um, moments with with Weir, with his eyes, with the sort of like nightmare imagery. Even though it gave me like a huge flatliners vibe when she's chasing after her her kid and ends up falling to her death. Like the death scenes in this and the more horror aspects, I think are really really well done and and for the most part hold up to today. But the rest of it, I just, I, I just find it so boring. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry. So it's two and a half corpsicles for me. We will Bye -bye. battle it out board game form. <laughs> I, I will. I will definitely do that. I'll take you on for that. What about you, Mary Beth, who's giving me like the most <laughs> painful look I think I've ever gotten from her before? Boring? Yeah. <sighs> It was kind of a slog. Mm, I don't know about all that. Anyway, <clears throat> well then, wow, this is that makes me angrier than The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> no, I respect your opinions, and I respect you, Terry. Um, 
I am going to have to give this three and a half corpsicles. I don't think this movie is boring at all. Um, I think that this is a really incredible cosmic horror movie. I think mm. cosmic horror is really hard to do. I mm. think, you know, there are a lot of movies that want to be cosmic horror and it's hard to get there. And I think this movie really embodies that co- that kind of concept of cosmic horror, not just because it's in space, but it really does kind of that idea of personal hell and madness and what that all looks like paired with some gnarly moments. I wish it was gnarlier. I always wish things were gnarlier, but I mean, like, I just really love this movie. I love Paul W.S. Anderson, and it's a movie that I can get a lot of my friends to watch, which is very weird, Hmm. but, like, for some reason, the sci-fi action part gets people to watch this more than most horror movies that I want to watch, so that's also a plus. But yeah, three and a half corpsicles for me. That word is just so funny (laughs) to continue to say. Um, But Megan, you have the final word. How many corpsicles out of five do you think that I think Teen Me would have been, like... Five out of five for scaring me shitless, but uh, <laughs> so many rewatches later um, and decades later that I'm probably with Mary Beth and that it's is a three and a half uh, half tort. half torso half half corpsicle. Yeah, I really like the idea of there being a half. <laughs> just sort of floating there. I mean, like, but it makes sense in the movie, like, ha- like some legs just, like, yeah, floating around. they're just floating. And you don't you know turn the gravity is. on, yeah. they will crash down, and you'll find them. But, yeah. Uh, I just, you know, there there's definitely some dating that's happened since, uh, not just in some of the, the, the VFX, but in some of the dialogue and whatnot. But... Uh, one thing that never really ceases to amaze me um, is that every time I rewatch, I really love his characterization. Um, mm. You you watch them, and you've like we've already talked about all of the horror moments that are very effective. We've talked about this crazy production design that's like is from a Cenobite's dream. All of that stuff is, is really well done and holds up. But it's the cast, you know, you've got. Lawrence Fishburne is mm. so great and believable as this take no shit captain. Cooper is amazing. Um, he's he's your likable that that speaks oh, sense. You know, Sean Pert. We we he tends to play bad guys since then, but he's like his moment where he breaks down when he realizes that he he's not going to survive what's about to happen is like a split second of brilliance. I mean, you just go down the cast and it's like. They they knew what they were doing. They brought it. They knew what they were doing. They brought it. There there is no unlikable person. I mean, you even empathize with Sam Neill, who is the villain essentially. So yeah, uh, it's it's not going to be lower than a three and a half, Terry. Okay, you know what? <laughs> you know what? Here here's the thing. You're, you're absolutely right we on the characters. You. No, we you're do. absolutely right we on do. the characters. We're just they, giving you shit. I wasn't thinking about this, but you're right. All the characters have their own personality and their own. They don't feel like just sort of people. Right. Right. They they feel like real people. That is absolutely true. And you know what? Because of that, I'm going to bump it up. I'm going to give it three. It'll be a three full corpsicles. It's not going any higher than that. But you're absolutely (laughs) right. Thinking back on the character moments, there are some really good character beats in this. Uh, Absolutely. I do have one final question because I meant to bring this up earlier. What does this ship smell like? Can you just imagine? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they're corpsicles, right? 
so it's not like there's rot because they're corpsicles. Well, I was just thinking the the scene in the in the bridge where she's like walking past and the light flashes and there's like gore just spread across the wall. I'm like, what does that? What would that smell like? But how much of that? Yeah, I don't know. Like, how did that happen and not freeze? Yeah. Also, like, how does smell work in space? Do you think smell is different in space? Probably. I mean, gravity the is a whole different scent. thing. So, how does scent travel? What I don't. Does space? I don't smell know. Like? And then, how much of that is actually real? Like, corpsicles are tangible, but like, there's the whole blood shining thing that happens, and that's not really real. This thing has a way of messing with your mind. So, I don't know. I'm going to say it doesn't smell as bad as it would if it were on Earth. So apparently astronaut Thomas Jones said that space carries a distinct odor of ozone, a faint acrid smell, a little like gunpowder, sulfurous. Oh, so they're already used to stink. That just sounds horrible. They're probably Nick nose blind at that point of just like something smells a little bit weird, but... It, Maybe you don't yeah. really give a fuck about stink when you're confronted <laughs> with hell. <laughs> Also, like, maybe everyone's own version of hell smells differently. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Like, eucalyptus, I'm not a fan of that. Would that be in my version? God, that would be terrible. That would be terrible. Yeah. Just eucalyptus. Oh, God, that would be Oh, wow. Just, just like, now I'm thinking about, like, the hell of having to smell something nasty, but, like, not, like, even, like, dead, but a smell you hate just for the rest of a turn. I mean, that that was part of this year for me with COVID. Um, once I got my smell back, oh, there was, like, yeah. certain smells that just got stuck in my nose, and I would smell it for a week on a time and not smell anything else other than that one horrible smell. So maybe... And this is how Terry went to space. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I've already been there, y'all. It's not good. Me with fire and flammable things. Terry with smell. (laughs) We just need to get Mary back a popsicle. And we'll call that a corpsicle. <laughs> and this is as far as we go to deep space. Yeah, let's let's not yep. go into space. Like, no, that's a bad idea. <laughs> no. All right. Well, thank you so much, Megan, for joining us to talk about Event Horizon. I'm sorry I didn't love it as much as everyone else. But where can our listeners find you, and what do you have coming up that you'd like to share? Uh, first of all, thank you so much, and thank you for letting me peer pressure you into a three, even <laughs> though you really didn't want to. I love you for that. Um, yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Haunted Meg, where it's probably the easiest way to keep track of everything, or at Be Disgusting Pod if you're interested in weekly up to date news and releases and stuff like that. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Or on Bloody Disgusting, I'm probably all over that page. <laughs> Yes, you are, and it's incredible. Read her writing. It's all so good. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. Um, So, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with Event Horizon? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to... Or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm a Gaily Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please, if you're listening to us on iTunes, just go out there and give us a little rating. Give us a little review. Give us a subscription. It's good for you. It's good for your health. Um, (laughs) Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. (laughs) Until next time.
As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.